0: All right, welcome to episode 19 of the Under Further Review podcast with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, we're really happy to be back with you after a couple weeks off where both of us were um, really ill. So we were (laughs) unable to record last weekend. Um, But lots of things are going on. people committing crimes left and right. So um, just to jump right in, um, we want to revisit the man we affectionately refer to as the godfather of our podcast, uh, former New England Patriot (laughs) Aaron Hernandez, um, who's currently on trial in a double murder charge in um, Suffolk County up Massachusetts. Uh, this is this would be his second murder trial in what 3, three years. years yes. Um which I believe the theory is that the reason he killed Odin Lloyd, the murder he was previously convicted of is because he was trying to cover up this murder this current yeah, this, the murder he's being yeah. tried for now. Mhm. Um, so Jen, sounds like there's been a lot going on this week. Yes, it's been very busy.
1: <laughs> um well so the trial is scheduled to start March first and as you would expect, I mean, that is next week. So um they're trying to seat a, a jury and so you know they're going through and making sure people are going to come in with like, you know, open um Like an open mind about things that they haven't made up their mind about Aaron Hernandez, especially since he was already convicted of murder (laughs) not that long ago.
0: Very well publicized (laughs) trial, too. Exactly, very
1: publicized trial. The fact that it is taking place in Suffolk County, You know, home to I'm sure a number of Patriots fans. So whether or not you have a, you're inclined to think that he's not guilty because he was an awesome tight end or whatever or wide receiver. Can't remember which one he was, but tight end, tight end,
0: he and Gronk, (laughs) two tight ends.
1: So they have so far I think seated three individuals. Um, There will be 16 people ultimately selected for the jury. Um, so they're just going through now um, to select that jury and they have also indicated, as you
0: are required to do in this kind of litigation, to put forward the names of your witnesses. So there's been um, a lot of excitement on both the jury selection and the witness list fronts. Um, I think in terms of jury selection for folks who haven't been through a, a jury selection process, I've I've made it into the courtroom like one time and then got sent home because they had enough people. but. You know, you have a certain number of, um, I think they call them strikes. So, strikes. Yeah, so people you can just, you have to, you can throw out for kind of no cause. And then if there are folks who you have a cause to not want in the jury, that's, I, I think in most cases, that's unlimited. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there was one woman... <laughs> who was excused from jury service because as part of her questionnaire, she'll fill out a questionnaire usually before you get called up to have questions asked of you by the lawyers and the judge. In her questionnaire, she responded that she just can't believe he killed those people. (laughs) Um, She just could not believe that he would do something like that. Um, Now she, I guess she made that comment um, while being interviewed by the, uh, the lawyers and hernandez was sitting just a few feet away from her um needless to say she was asked to leave (laughs) um but they did seat a woman who has a i believe a felony conviction for uh, like unarmed robbery or something no sorry she got i thought it was shoplifting shoplifting and it's her brother that's got an outstanding warrant i think for unarmed robbery Mm -hmm. um Normally, you would not, I think most lawyers would not want to see people who have been through the court system just because if they've had a negative um, uh, negative experience, Mm -hmm. uh, they might be less inclined to um, believe that somebody was guilty. They might think like, well, I had a terrible experience and I'm sure they railroaded this guy. Or
1: yes, they will have a negative view on like scientific evidence or even like testimony of police officers because of their negative experience so most of the time you're right
0: those individuals do um not get asked to sit on juries but when they asked her what her experience was like they i believe they said was did you have an okay experience in the court system and her response was yeah sure it's fine (laughs) that's fine and now she's part of the jury um (laughs) So they're still in the process of seating jurors. Hopefully we will have some more entertaining stories coming out of that. But I think more importantly for sports fans, <laughs> that's um, right. uh, it's- interest, Bill Belichick, coach of the Patriots, has been listed as a possible witness, as has Josh McDaniels, who's the offensive coordinator. And what I thought was I was hearing about this. I was like, why would Josh McDaniel be listed as a? potential witness Mm -hmm. and apparently he is going to testify to the meanings of some Some of of Aaron Hernandez's tattoos tattoos. which I don't know what makes Josh McDaniels a a tattoo expert expert, or if he may have had a conversation with um, Hernandez about what they are. I am looking at um, the uh, the filing from Hernandez's team um, that discusses josh mcdaniels and it looks like it's actually the um the state that wants to call mcdaniels yeah not because yes yeah, too um and it says that he has not been made available to the defense investigators because they were <laughs> prepared for the super bowl um and i guess the rationale for calling mcdaniels is that um hernandez sent him a text message showing him a tattoo um And they want to uh, talk to McDaniels about what the initials in the tattoo mean. Because it's supposed to
1: commemorate the 2012 uh, homicide. Allegedly. Yeah. Yes. Which
0: is what he's on trial for. Right. And so the the theory is they want to use the tattoos against him. And McDaniel can, I guess, help them do that. They also may call Steve Burton, who for anyone from Massachusetts who listens to this is a pretty well-known sports caster back home um based on just (laughs) maybe he i think he did some interviews with aaron hernandez it's really unclear as to why they want to talk i don't know what defense he could possibly or evidence he could offer but um should be a real blockbuster of a (laughs) trial i mean i my recollection is that bob craft testified at the old lloyd trial Mm -hmm. um as a
1: character witness for aaron hernandez
0: I think so. And he basically was like, I didn't know. I thought he was a great guy when we drafted him in spite of the fact that I think up to that point, he'd only been in trouble for like smoking a lot of weed and getting caught, which I don't feel like should be disqualifying for somebody getting into the NFL. I'm sure there are other people who disagree. Um, But uh, I don't recall that Belichick or um, Josh McDaniel were witnesses in that trial Correct. Um,
1: And on the list of witnesses for Mr. Hernandez's defense include experts who will testify or who purportedly will testify about the um, potential impacts or effects that marijuana use could have, in that instead of, like, you know, making you a generally more genial person, that it actually can make people very violent and um, sort of, like, not necessarily have dissociative. Um, symptoms but you know like you become violent on pot so that's that'll be that sounds like that might be a, a main portion of his defense for for his actions I
0: wonder if the theory is that I mean I don't I don't know very much about marijuana smoking but like I know with some powder drugs they can be cut with things that can then make you sick like in like high school biology class we watched some video about heroin users who there was like rat poison in the heroin and they all became paralyzed and it was horrible i don't know why we're watching that in (laughs) science class but anyway can something similar happen with weed where it's like laced with something would make you horribly violent or is the idea and maybe they haven't gone to they haven't presented all their evidence yet so we may not know but um i wonder if that's their argument or if it's gonna just more generally be that weed just made him violent, regardless of what it might have been mixed uh, with.
1: Yeah, so you're right. I haven't read um, the theory, the exact theory behind this. It was just this is the, a witness who's on the list, and this is what he is known for being an expert witness on. So, um, But I do believe that you can, that we can be laced with other things as well. Um, but one of the interesting things that also has come out that's related to another um, NFL star is that there were phone calls between Hernandez and Mike Pouncey, oh, God. who, is he with the, I want to say he was with the Steelers, I don't know that he is, Mike I Pouncey. get him and his
0: brother confused. Yeah, so
1: that's what I'm doing in my head right <laughs> now. So, um... The Commonwealth are interested, so Massachusetts is interested in, um, getting transcripts of a conversation that he had with a former, with Mike Pouncy, who was a former University of Florida teammate. And in these conversations, supposedly, um, Hernandez told Pouncey that he felt like he was being, like, disrespected at this club and that, you know, it was the disrespect that the the two victims of the two victims were the ones who were disrespecting him and so that there this is like sort of the motive for why um he Furtado and Debreu like ended up getting shot because they were disrespecting um Hernandez at this club um and he also had a subsequent conversation with Pouncey about another tattoo he wanted to get like I just think that Aaron Hernandez needs to stop talking to people about his tattoos
0: yeah so the tattoos are pretty intense and as a uh, aside Mike Pouncey is currently a member of the Miami Dolphins okay um I think it's his. I think is it Marcus or Marquise his brother I think plays for the Steelers. Steelers okay so Hernandez, um, here are some of the tattoos that are the (laughs) subject of all this controversy. One is a um, gun and five bullets that um, allegedly represent the gun and the five bullets that killed um, Daniel Debrayu and Safiro Furtado. Um, The gun that's tattooed on Hernandez is the same type of gun that was used in the shooting, and um, presumably there Mm -hmm. were five shots fired. Um, The there's another tattoo with a semi-automatic handgun, <laughs> a bullet and a puff of smoke, which the um, prosecutors are arguing represents Hernandez um, shooting his friend Alexander Bradley in the face in Florida. He did not kill him, which is um, great for Alexander Bradley. Really unfortunate for Aaron Hernandez, though, because um, Bradley's. A, Bradley's real pissed off that he got <laughs> shot in the face by yeah. Hernandez. And, um Apparently, Bradley was in Hernandez's truck the night that um, Furtado and Debrayu were shot, um, and it's expected that he's going to testify against Hernandez in this trial. He also got a tattoo um, at the same time as the two gun tattoos that says, God for forgives, which the um, assistant DA has said is an admission by Hernandez. I mean, as a person who was raised Catholic, that's sort of a grand theme of the religion <laughs> that god forgives you i'm not sure quite what that proves but maybe in mm-hmm. connection with the um gun tattoos and it all comes together to show to the paint a tableau <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't know i know this has nothing to do with the law but like what would possess somebody to get like multiple handguns tattooed on themselves I it's,
1: ugh. <laughs> um I don't I, yeah I I don't know it, it, it is a culture that I that I don't understand yeah. I don't purport to understand so he was telling Pouncy that he wanted to get a tattoo that looked like a stop sign that would say beware no hesitation Jeez. hernandez said you feel me like try me and there's no hesitation so so they're trying to get transcripts of those conversations um, admitted as evidence in, um, about how he felt like he was disrespected, how if you did try to disrespect him, there would be no hesitation in whatever retribution would rain down upon you. Um, so I, on quick question as to the, the, the handgun and the yeah. five bullets. There was a third person who was... Like shot that night too. His name is Ray Sanchez, and he is scheduled to testify against Hernandez. Do any of the five bullets represent Sanchez?
0: Or? He is not mentioned in okay. these um, reports, so I'm I'm thinking maybe not. I don't know. I've not looked back at the um, uh, exact stories about how many shots were fired that killed the the, the two okay. victims. Right. Um, so maybe five of them. Represent also shooting Ray Sanchez. What's interesting is that apparently, according to the defense's filing um, on Josh McDaniel being called as a witness, the uh, tattoos they want the Commonwealth wants to talk to McDaniel's about have nothing to do with the handguns. It's just a bunch of initials that um, Hernandez now has tattooed on himself, and they think that McDaniel's can explain what those initials mean or acronyms. I don't. Oh. I don't know the. Um, initials are or the letters are cbs slash wbs slash iwbtg i don't think those mean nothing to me except cbs is a television network so <laughs> uh, it doesn't ring a bell as anything like new englandy or related um, to the patriots so god knows what the hell they mean and uh
1: Well, maybe we'll... Maybe Josh (laughs) McDaniels will let us (laughs) in on the secret. He will enlighten us about the the deep meanings underpinning these tattoos that Mr. Hernandez has. I mean, I think you and I know from professionally speaking that people... There is a culture in which sort of, like, homicides are commemorated. It's true. So, Aaron Hernandez is not the only person, you know, in, in public life that we know of that purportedly has tattoos
0: that would commemorate killing someone or no you know. and he i feel like his big mistake aside from murdering people <laughs> which is, is kind of a doozy it's a real big mistake probably not mistake really understates the problem but like what the fuck <laughs> is he texting people all this information like i i don't know i He's got his issues. He doesn't seem like a complete moron. So I'm like, why? Shouldn't you know better? Like, have these conversations in person if you want to have them. Don't put them in writing. Well, Which th- is not legal advice, to be clear. <laughs> no, I think that, I mean,
1: I, I sort of think about that stuff all the time. But at the same time, I think if you were driven to the point where it's okay for you to shoot at someone because they are disrespecting They're you rude. in a bar. Yeah, yeah. Like there's gotta be a switch. That's not flipped that says, Oh yeah, maybe I should just talk to someone in person. So there's no like trace of any communication or maybe I should stop talking to, you know, my friend, Mike on the prison telephone. That's probably recorded and talk to them about like how I was being completely disrespected. And I'm never, not going to hesitate the next time someone
0: does that, you know, it's, and don't they tell you on the prison phones that anything you say could be recorded?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they read your mail. <laughs> Why wouldn't you think your telephones are being monitored? And they read your email, you know. Aaron Hernandez has just
0: made a lot of bad choices. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh,
1: it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, yikes. Um, but apparently, uh, uh, kind of on the uh, uh, nice note to leave things on. Um, He is very smiley and laughing in court, and he um, really likes to hug his defense attorneys. Um, So that's been commented upon by uh, the prosecution. We're not sure if he's hugging them to, like, get information or to make threats quietly or if Mm -hmm. it's just that he has no physical contact while in prison and just wants a hug.
1: There is this other theory that um, I had actually talked to my husband about um, after he was convicted of the Odin Lloyd murder, which was, I wonder, you know, what he's going to do with this double murder trial mm-hmm. coming up because it's like, is he going to get more time on top of a life sentence? A life sentence, you know, there right? There have
0: been... I've seen places where they're like, you're sentenced to life plus 100 years, yeah. which seems... Oh, yeah, I mean, but... making I mean, a statement, I guess, but, but...
1: Yeah, so I was talking to him about it from the context mm-hmm. of, like, why would he want to put himself through that if oh, he's sure. already in jail, right? Yeah. But my husband said, well, he's going to have to go through trial, which means he's not going to be in prison. prison. He's going to a county jail, which is... You know by all standards nicer sure. than the prison so maybe he's in a good mood because he's like oh it's a little bit
0: nice jail is
1: not as crappy as state prison
0: and also I know that we promised not to talk politics on our last podcast but this is just an aside the sheriff in Bristol County which is where his first trial was and mm-hmm. um, where he would be in prison um, Well, I guess there are state prisons, but that's where Mm -hmm. he had been held. um, Has offered up uh, county inmates to help build the wall (laughs) eh, along our southern border. So maybe he's excited that he won't have to be a part of that process.
1: (laughs) Yes, he won't be made to work on a chain gang. Um, (laughs) Wow. Yes.
0: So I'm I'm just offering that as a factual statement without commentary (laughs) about the wall itself. Um, So, yeah, there might be... Because I would think also, like, let's say he gets, I'm not, I can't remember if he's appealing the Olden Lloyd, the conviction in that murder, Mm -hmm. but if he doesn't bother to fight this charge, and then by some miracle, the Olden Lloyd conviction gets overturned, he'd still be stuck in jail. Whereas Mm -hmm. if he fights this, maybe he won't get convicted. Yeah, Um, there's the
1: possibility of... He
0: might get out. Although I don't... For
1: not killing three people.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, I really can't envision that happening it's just it's so crazy to me that he like played on the patriots and okay. everybody loved him and all the while he was out just murdering people
1: um did he go to jail for shooting that guy in the face no oh it for like any particular reason i, I think because
0: it didn't may not have come out i my recollection of the timing is that he shot the guy in the face in the like Late winter 2013, so I think it was like February-ish. And then he was shortly thereafter, pretty shortly thereafter, arrested for the Odin-Lloyd murder. Mm -hmm. So I think just the timing of the whole situation um, may not have been conducive to him getting in trouble for the Alexander Bradley shooting, which was down in... Florida? Yeah, he shot him in Miami, I think. Um, But Bradley, I believe Bradley testified in the Odin-Lloyd shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Or the Odin-Lloyd excuse me, the old Lloyd trial. Um, so I think it was just a timing issue, not okay. that he... And probably at this point, Florida doesn't see a need to like bring him to justice for shooting. For an um, attempted murder versus p- him being prosecuted for murder. Right. Yeah. And the statute of limitations might have run by now. I don't know how long oh. it is for attempted murder.
1: I would hope that it's more than three more than years. Than three
0: years. <laughs> one, would, one would like to think that. Um,
1: continuing on our NFL yeah. theme, but with seriously... Less serious circumstances is what happened to Jarrell Rivas in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. So my understanding of the situation is that very late one evening, probably around 2, 2.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. he was out um, probably at a bar, but then was walking on the street. Well,
0: according to his lawyer, he was inspecting some property, property. that yeah. he owns in the south side of Pittsburgh. Yes. Which I'm like, why are you wandering around your property at 2.45 in the morning? According
1: but, to his lawyer, he was doing it at 2.45 in the morning because it was a less intrusive time and he would not be recognized at 2:45 45 in the morning when he was just out there looking at his properties as opposed to doing it during the middle of the day where people would recognize him and want to approach him so okay yeah <laughs> that's according to his lawyer Why so not? he's out there um, walking around and he is essentially confronted by two very young men I think they're like 21 22 mm-hmm. years old um, they want to know if he's Darrell Revis and Revis supposedly says yes. And these two guys start following him around and start recording a uh, video of him on their phone,
0: which is weird,
1: which is weird. Um, and I believe that there is, uh, footage or audio of him saying, you know, what are you doing? Get away mm-hmm. from me. And I don't know. I haven't looked at the, the video, but like, according to some people, like, Revis is trying to actively walk away from these folks and these two guys continue to follow him Mm -hmm. um and there ends up being a physical altercation and this is the part that gets really confusing because there's a witness who said things happen so fast i don't know who punched who but in the end the 21 and 22 year olds were unconscious in the street i'm sorry i don't mean to laugh but it's so ridiculous i read this i'm like is Darrell reeves the fucking flash (laughs) what is going on (laughs) Things happen so quickly. <laughs> quickly. Oh, I couldn't no. tell who was punching who. I'm like, it's not a melee. There's yeah. like three guys <laughs> there, maybe four. Because there's also this unidentified person who um, might be the actual assailant because the witness was like, I, you know, this other guy was there. I don't know if he was the one who was throwing punches. And, um, and people have said that it sounds like it's the unidentified man's voice in the video
0: as opposed to Darrell Revis's voice who you can hear talking. Mm-hmm. Right. So Darrell Revis's attorneys have said, basically, there is there is this video talking, I, th- I think it, some of it's in the aftermath of the assaults. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't see exactly who's punching who, but that the voice on the tape saying that they committed the assault as not uh-huh. Darrell Rivas. Mm-hmm. And that once that is established in court, this whole thing will go away. <laughs> um, but yeah, the story that like, oh, it just happened so fast, you couldn't tell who was punching <laughs> who, I was like, there's no, how is, this, how is this real? Well,
1: in fact, aside from the fact that it was happening so fast, we can't tell who was punching who, but in the end, there's like two guys. <laughs> two oh, guys gosh, just
0: knocked out. In the street. They have no idea what happened to <laughs> them. Oh,
1: exactly. They have no, they could not say who hit them.
0: So let's arrest the famous guy. Exactly.
1: So that's the problem that I have, which is he has been charged with four felonies, um, including two felony counts of aggravated assault, one felony count each of robbery and conspiracy, and a misdemeanor count of terroristic threats.
0: So, unless the terroristic threats are... Why are terroristic threats a misdemeanor? <laughs> Number <laughs> yeah, one, yeah. but anyway.
1: <laughs> but I don't know, is there audio if someone making terroristic threats and what would constitute a terroristic threat as opposed to just a regular threat? Right. But, um... So, he's been charged with these four felonies and he turned himself in and so it's going. the process will start now that he's been arrested formally. Um, but it's just you know, it's insane. I mean, everyone seems to acknowledge the fact that there are these two unconscious guys in the street, not only the two unconscious guys, but there was, you know, the third witness who couldn't see things happening because they were so blurry fast. And then another resident who was nearby who saw two people unconscious in the street, but it's just, I mean, the whole thing is really puzzling to me.
0: Um, yeah, and her. uh, Sorry, Revis. I guess his his attorneys have said that he was very fearful of these two guys because they kept him following him, Yeah, which, having lived in Pittsburgh for a bit, you know, the South Side, at least when I lived there, it was pretty. It was a pretty popular place um, to go out late at night. Well, not late at night, but like had a lot of nightlife going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it was particularly dangerous. That said, two random dudes following you around the streets Mm -hmm. at 2.45 in the morning, I think would be scary no matter what neighborhood you're in. Um, So him, whatever might have happened, uh, it seems like the two guys who ended up knocked out probably should have made a series of better decisions before they got to that point. But what I thought was, aside from the fact it doesn't seem like there's a lot of evidence that's been discussed um, establishing that Rebus did anything wrong here, Mm -hmm. Um, he... Initially, he uh, was required to turn his passport in within 72 hours of his arrest. so that he wouldn't flee the country, I guess. I don't know where he's going to go. I was going
1: to say, like they know where to find him come training camp time. Right.
0: Right. And so his attorneys, um, have had applied to have him, uh, be able to maintain his or keep his passport because he has a Rivas foundation event in the Turks and Caicos at the end of March, um, that he would like to attend. And the, uh, Found it in his or her heart to um, let him keep his passport. So Revis may end up literally moving to a Revis <laughs> Island uh, if he decides he doesn't want to come back. Um, apparently, the as part of the working out the deal on his bail or his bond, um, he's going to be able to um, stay in his full-time home in Florida while he's preparing for training camp. A wrinkle in all of this is that it sounds like the Jets have an option whether to retain him or or they can cut him that decision's got to be made by the first couple days in march otherwise i think he gets a two million dollar roster bonus and then um other guaranteed money could kick in Mm -hmm. whether this is going to impact their decision or not i'm not sure he has admitted that last season he was kind of terrible because he's old Mm -hmm. and um, tired yeah (laughs) uh so reports are that he will retire if the jets don't re oh just they don't can. keep him on the yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that would be a sad resolution to the story. But um, we'll see.
1: Yeah, it happens. I mean, I have just so many questions <laughs> because it's it seems like. The video, the witness accounts just has created more questions than they've answered when, in fact, they shouldn't... Having a video and people actually seeing what happened should not be
0: creating more questions. No, but and it seems like they've really charged him with some pretty significant crimes exactly. on really thin evidence. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah, I don't understand why this was in a situation where you're like, we're just going to do some investigating and talk to these, you know, talk to these witnesses some more and... Try to see if there we can build a timeline as to what happened and identify that identifiable flash person who comes in and punches people and then vanishes, runs right? away.
0: Yeah. yeah, and you know there was something. I mean, it doesn't sound like it was quite as uh, dramatic, but over the summer, you know, Draymond Green got. Arrested Trouble in a bar, yeah. Punching somebody in a bar, and um definitely did not escalate to this mm-hmm. level of being charged with like multiple felonies and yeah. having his passport revoked. Mm-hmm. So um it'd be interesting it'd be interesting to find out what it was about um this, this incident incident that caused that level of, of charging.
1: Yeah. Terroristic threats.
0: That's intense, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um and I think that all of us are probably very probably sensitive to, you know, allegations of terroristic-like threats these days. So... Yeah, it just... It's just so weird. Yeah. Anyways, um, so moving on from a puzzling situation to another puzzling situation. Um, Harrison Ford, I think it was last week, mistakenly flew his private plane over a commercial airliner in while he was attempting to land at John Wayne International Airport in beautiful Irvine, California, um, Ugh. he, so I, I didn't realize that a large airport, and obviously John Wayne is not as large as LAX or SFO, but it is still a pretty large, I mean, it's a big airport. Southwest and, flies there a lot. Yeah. Um, so I don't understand why private planes are able to land at a commercial airport, especially mm-hmm. during regular, like, business hours. Business hours. Yeah. Um, But in any event, he uh, wanted to land and he was given instructions by the tower as to where to land and instead of landing on the runway as he um, was supposed to, in which... uh, it is my understanding that he understood where he was supposed to land because he repeated the instructions back. He landed on a taxiway parallel to the runway. Well, um, good. Yes, and in landing on the runway, he basically buzzed um, a 737, an American airliner uh, jet filled with about 100 people on its way to Dallas. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so um, the, F- the FAA, excuse me, is investigating and the... Um, The spokesperson for the FAA said that, you know, pilots who violate these kinds of um, agency regulations could face penalties like a warning letter to having their license suspended or revoked. Uh, Landing on a taxiway is a violation of federal safety rules. Um, Mr. Ford is about 74 years old, has been flying for a very long time, but this is not his first like, air-related mishap. He was in a crash. Didn't he crash his
0: plane a couple years back? Yes. I knew so. he was married to Callista Flockhart at the time, so it wasn't too far, too yes. long ago. So his history of airplane incidents oh, dates back to uh,
1: 1999 when he was training to fly a helicopter, and he and the instructor made an emergency landing in a dry riverbed. Neither Mr. Ford or the instructor were hurt, but the helicopter subsa- sustained substantial damage. Mm. Then in 2000, while landing in Lincoln, Nebraska, a gust of air blew Mr. Ford's plane from the runway um, and the aircraft sustained minor damage uh, and neither and none of the people in the plane were injured. But the most recent and serious one, it sounds like, was from March of 2015. And he was injured while he was flying a single-engine World War II-era training plane uh, and he crashed into a golf course in Venice, California shortly after takeoff. Uh, The plane had some engine trouble on takeoff, and he was forced to make an emergency landing. Uh, According to Mr. Ford's publicist, he was banged up but walked away. Um, So, it's he's had some difficulties, but it also
0: sounds like he flies very tiny, old planes, too. Yeah, and it's... uh, so I fly in and out of Burbank Airport a lot, and I think they have a number of private jets. Although I think they're bigger, like the kind of corporate, the corporate G five G six jets. So it would be a little less. Uh, I guess it would be a more significant problem if they buzz <laughs> the top of a seven thirty seven. But yeah, I, uh, I'm just I'm kind <laughs> of at a loss. Like how if you understand where you're supposed to be landing and what do you, what do you what are you doing, Harrison? Let's... So, I don't
1: mean to be ageist about this, but I think that it could... I mean, he's 74 years old, and in thinking about how old my parents are and then adding years to that, yeah. or thinking about how old my grandmother is and subtracting a, a few bit. years, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm really not so sure that it's such a great idea that, um, you know...
0: He'd be up in the air. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who has his pilot's license, and at the time I flew with him, he only had, um, like, the instrument. Oh. No, he mm-hmm. didn't have an instrument He just had the daytime. Like, exactly. You know. mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's intense. Like, there's a lot of information flying mm-hmm. at you, and, you know, it's, I mean, if you make a mistake and when you're driving a car, like, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't be great, but... Most people survive car accidents, I think. If you make a mistake when you're flying a plane, like it just can go very badly very quickly. Yes, like there's not a lot of room for error, and it seems like it's a pretty complicated process. Mm -hmm. So, to your point, not to denigrate the um, our elders, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I wonder if that's he just got confused or what Mm -hmm. happened. My understanding of sort of the consequence of this is that he's not being. there's not a criminal investigation no. or anything, Correct. but he may lose his pilot's license Correct. as a result of this.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I'm not saying that um, it is because he was confused or whatever, but no. you know, people And I think under FAA guidelines, commercial airline pilots have to retire at 60. Uh, oh. So, you know, this is Harrison Ford is 14 years beyond the mandatory retirement age for commercial airline pilots. And, um, you know... Is Captain Sully less than 60? He might have been less than 60 at the time of the thing. At the time of the, uh, bird incident. Right. Um... So, um, yeah, so I... I, He's not going to be criminally charged with anything. He could lose his pilot's license or... Um, maybe be restricted
0: or something. He Um, sounds like a little bit of a menace, so it might not be such a bad thing for him to not be flying our friendly skies. (laughs) Uh, John Wayne, do you fly out of John Wayne very much? I've never flown into John Wayne, no.
1: So I think at John Wayne, because I sometimes fly into Burbank, sometimes fly into Mm -hmm. Irvine, but I think at John Wayne it's the one... Because it's of where it's situated, you literally upon takeoff, you take off at such a steep angle that you are you are on the runway for a few seconds and you're straight up in the air. That's also an
0: issue in Burbank. Oh really? Okay. Yeah.
1: I kind know of one of those
0: two it's you were it's just and Burbank up into the air. also got noise restrictions although it's weird because the signs say they're voluntary that you can't land I think before, between maybe hours, 6 a.m. Yeah. and after 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I know about Burbank I, I've never noticed that it's a real steep incline when you take mm-hmm. off but um, Titus Burgess, who is one of the stars (laughs) of The Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, did a, I think it was an Instagram story about um, flying in a private plane with Tina Fey, and their plane took off at a really steep angle, and a bottle of champagne went flying backwards, and Uh. she caught it out of mid-air, according (laughs) to the story. Like a superhero. Yes. So he was um, really excited about telling that story, and the commentary was because at Burbank, you basically have to take off straight into the air.
1: Oh, so maybe it was Burbank and not John Wayne. But
0: either way, one of those two, just beware. It can be very, I think they're both pretty small airports so it might be a little bit of um there may not be a lot of room for error if you've got kind of short runways and abrupt
1: yeah but i think the reason why is because of the noise restrictions and you can't just have that long takeoff because it, you're just in a neighborhood like a residential neighborhood yeah is john wayne in the middle of a neighborhood yeah it's right across the street from uc irvine oh yeah pretty much. that sounds
0: terrible yeah
1: okay so switching gears from you know terrace and Ford, Whose situation is, you know, amusing to us to something probably more serious. In that, um, you know, someone lost their job, but also because this is this is something that Burke and I do on a day-to-day basis. So we're not familiar with the situation, but we are familiar with the legal impacts of the situation. Um, Earlier in February, the New York Times fired its, what I've read to be its second string (laughs) theater critic, Charles Isherwood, um, based on, well, I can't say really based on because there's been some confusion about that. Uh, the Times alleges that he, that Isherwood sent messages via the New York Times email system and probably the New York Times email address, complaining to uh, famous Broadway producer, and producer in general, I think, Scott Rudin, about the uh, assignments that he was getting and also complaining about his colleagues. And um, the Times fired him um, based on these emails. So there's been a little bit of confusion, as I said, as to the basis for um, the firing. Some have said that It's because Isherwood's relationship with producer uh, Rudin has been too cozy and that violates the New York Times ethical standards and policies and practices. Mm -hmm. Um, Others have said that they're using it as a cover for basically the fact that no one really liked him in the office and he was kind of a pain. He sounds like a real (laughs) asshole, but that's not necessarily a reason to fire somebody. Um, And Normally, in the private sector, I would say you could fire someone for just being an asshole. But the twist here is that uh, Isherwood is a member of the Newspaper Guild, which means that he is represented by a union and probably by a contract, Mm -hmm. which it sounds like includes a provision that says you can only terminate me if you have just cause. And just (laughs) cause is defined in a variety of ways, but it essentially means that you can't fire someone just (laughs) because, like, you have to have an actual basis, in fact, for um, terminating or separating someone from employment. And most of the time, it also includes progressive discipline, which means that you cannot, unless a misconduct is really egregious, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have, like, a series of steps before the final act of termination, which could mean, like, written warnings or a counseling or suspension or a demotion before being ultimately fired. But I don't know that the Newspaper Guild necessarily has progressive discipline, but it does have just cause which means that Isherwood um, needs to be provided a substantial reason for his termination.
0: Right, and the what's a little tough in talking about it is that the Times has basically taken the position that we don't discuss individual um, personnel matters publicly. Uh, they are now, Isherwood is now taking the whole thing to arbitration, so mm-hmm. that would certainly make the make sense that the New York Times is even less inclined to talk about it publicly, but what they've said is that there is, um, you know, it's not, let's take a step back, the emails that have been released, kind of, or discussed publicly, are basically Isherwood making, like, shitty remarks about his employer and about Mm. the top string um, critic Ben Brantley and just being like snarky and mean, which I'm sure many (laughs) of us have done. Um, Not a great idea to do it on company email, but you know, people make mistakes normally not that big of a deal um and the isherwood camp is saying that's why he was fired because the times is mad at him for saying like mean Mean things things about about them mm -hmm. to scott rudin and some uh, there was i think at least another publicist or producer who Mm -hmm. he sent this email to the times has come out and said you know uh, firing somebody is a really big deal and we wouldn't do it kind of if it weren't, um, if it weren't very serious, mm-hmm. and um, basically said something to the effect of there's there's more to this. It's not just him being critical of mm-hmm. us and um, our other critics. Um, Isherwood's apparently very upset, understandably, um, I guess that there's been a de-emphasis on print at the Times as opposed to kind of their digital. Um, platforms and as a newspaper junkie um, i can appreciate his frustration but
1: at the same time newspapers have to survive well yes (laughs) Um,
0: in my past life as a bankruptcy attorney i worked on not one but two (laughs) bankruptcies (laughs) involving i worked on some newspaper bankruptcies but also the newsprint which Uh are the Which I, growing up, even though my mom worked at a newspaper my whole life, I always thought newsprint was like the ink that was (laughs) used to print the newspapers. In fact, that's what the paper is called. (laughs) Um, So these were two paper companies that went under because the newspaper business is failing Mm -hmm. and um, I I guess in its current um, structure. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they don't need as much paper because not so many people are buying them and it's all a sad situation, but adapt or die, I guess, and... Charles Sherwood died or <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically
1: <laughs> he's, he's fighting the fight yeah. Yeah. Um, so it also raises some other issues which uh, we deal with uh, professionally mm-hmm. um, one which is your employer's ability to access and review the emails that you send on your work computer especially if you're using your work email address to send yeah. such uh, correspondence so most of the time you will probably, in your employee handbook somewhere, have a policy about you know, your employer's ability to review at any time you know any sort of internet stuff that you do on your work computer, um, even if it's a laptop that you bring home, um, their access to reading the emails that you send, Um, during work time, on your work computer, and that could even extend to your phone, if it's your work phone. So, you know, just be mindful that you might think that this is something that is private, but in fact it's not. Um, That most employers do have very strongly written policies that give them this right to do this, and also to put you on notice that you have no privacy rights with respect to um, work equipment and um, especially computers and and things like
0: that. Right, and I think there are at least a lot of employers that I think we work with It goes even beyond mm-hmm. the... Um Emails to your social media accounts. Um, recently, I was working with a client where they had an employee who was posting really inappropriate stuff during work hours on Facebook, and um, you know the the person was like, "This is my private account," mm-hmm. and you know the the pol their social media policy is basically, "You represent us at all times," mm-hmm. which whether that was challenged, I'm not sure that idea would hold up, but. Um, you know, this person is clearly doing this on work time based on the timestamps of um, the postings, so that's where... That's um, not smart. No, and, uh, you know, I think part of... To go back to the email, um, I think there's also an issue where the law has not evolved at the same speed as technology, which is that's not just an issue here, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, my, my dad, who is in his 70s, takes the view that, like, your email should be treated like your mail, your snail mail, so oh. if I get something... Yeah, I know. Genevieve's making a face. I, I I'm just, it was just a surprise
1: is, face. It wasn't a judgy face. No,
0: he's basically like, like, this is my mail. No one can come around and open up my mailbox and steal my mail and start reading it. Why is my email any different? And um, whether that's uh, a good policy, I don't. No, i haven't really thought about it all that much but Mm -hmm. the reality is that that's not the way that the laws have evolved Mm -hmm. um and certainly it's a different situation i don't know if your employer if you got mail at your office could your employer pick through that mail i don't know if that's a violation of federal law
1: if like snail mail i mean yeah but i was going to say if it's addressed to you at your employer like you know burke Kara, the law firm yeah i think that they would probably be able to in fact i know that our receptionist opens all mail because they scan it and then they email us a copy of it so they do open
0: our snail mail right but if you said to her like that's that's pri- like if
1: it was addressed to me in my private capacity yeah, yeah like
0: i'll have packages delivered to the office nobody that's opens true. those up well the
1: packages are like you're different than i guess
0: that's like, obvious that It's not a yeah. work matter mm-hmm.
1: um but uh yeah so yeah the social media thing is kind of a an issue that comes mm-hmm. up for us you know especially if you are kind of holding yourself out there as an employee. Yeah. There are other people who you know don't mention at all that they're an employee of such and such agency right. or the New York Times or whatever. And you know you can go in and rant and rave. But if you actually identify yourself as an employee of the city or this county or this institution, then you know it, it does get to be a little dicier. The other um, the other aspect of this case that I thought was interesting was that um, Isherwood. May have asserted, I don't know if he asserted himself or maybe representatives on his behalf have asserted that his emails um, to Rudin that were complaining about his workplace should be protected under the National Labor Relations Act, that he was engaged in protected concerted activity. and there are problems with that theory as well because normally what you do in those situations is that you can complain about your your workplace mm-hmm. to your coworkers because you are all banding together in a concerted effort to improve your working conditions. Mm-hmm. That's what the right um, under the National Labor Relations Act guarantees you: the ability to engage in collective action. Right. The d- difference here is that he wasn't complaining to a coworker. He was complaining to someone outside the agency about, like, bad assignments or just, you know, ragging on his boss or something. Yeah. He wasn't complaining specifically about his work conditions to other people who would actually be able to help effectuate a change. So, um, but I don't think that they're going to back away from that argument necessarily, because why not make
0: it? Right. And I know there was a recent case with uh, before the NLRB, National Labor Relations Board, where my under I can't recall all of the details, but kind of in summary, my understanding of the case was that an employee was using all kinds of really foul, terrible language on social media Mm -hmm. to talk about um, his or her supervisor. Yeah. And they got fired um, because it's not a good idea to um, call your supervisor or a motherfucker On social media, which is my understanding, of what happened? Um, the union challenged that firing, um, and I believe it was under the theory that it was a concerted action. Um, and they were reinstated. the mm-hmm. The NLRB found that you know they have the right to. It's you know it's not nice, but they've got the right to, to make these things. Yeah. Criticisms, um, which. I don't know. I think is debatable, and especially in this forum where it doesn't—at least, it didn't sound like the um, speech was directed solely at other employees, so they could all work together to, you know, deal with the supervisor. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of blasted out into the world. Um, but based on that precedent, if that's if those facts are all mm-hmm. accurate, um, that might be where Rudin's coming from, and yeah. I'm sorry, Isherwood. where Isherwood's coming from mm-hmm. um, in his theory of his case.
1: Yeah. So. Um, so. Yeah. It's just you know just another interesting little um, facet to this case, which I'm sure probably fascinates a very small segment of the population.
0: Those people who live in New York and theater goers, right? Although there are uh, there's a much wider uh, universe of people who talk shit about their bosses. So yeah, that's this, very true. this might be something that's of interest to them. So.
1: So. Um. Isherwood. And this might also widen the audience of people who are interested, but he wrote, um, he also writes fiction. Uh, and one of the books that he's written is called Wonder Bread in Ecstasy, The Life and Death of Joey Stefano, which is about a, um, dead porn star. And the, in the reviews that I read of the, um, of this book it's apparently quite trashy and maybe it's a good beach read or something but the critics wrote that it should have been called joey stefano the power bottom with the heart of gold Oh so.
0: my God! <laughs>
1: anyways. <laughs> um, anyways it's the trashiest book i've ever
0: read which is saying a lot that's an intense <laughs> yeah. review wow yeah
1: he mixes a graphic play-by-play descriptions of porno scenes and sophomoric rhetorical existential
0: ponderings yeah. well so. now he's gonna have more time to work on his book yes <laughs> or new books new books that's right hopefully the quality will improve
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes with this additional time um so <laughs> sorry i didn't want to end on power bottoms but no
0: that's can, fine and yeah. probably maybe a lead character in his next <laughs> book will be like um you know hot druden or something and uh, (laughs) that's right or uh maybe like ben bradley (laughs) instead of brantley although ben bradley is a really famous uh newspaper yes he is he wasn't the publisher of the washington post i don't think but he was whatever like like an editor executive editor or something um and his wife is a famous washington dc hostess she is not in a sexual way (laughs) Let's be clear. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to get sued for libel by Sally Quinn. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe socialite is a better. Yeah, but like I'm rem- reading about her, they refer to her as like a great hostess, but it's like hosting parties. Yeah. But yes, I think she is. Yeah, she's a player on the social scene mm-hmm. in Washington. So,
1: he was the executive editor of the Washington Post. Oh.
0: Yeah. So um, famous for the Watergate, he was the editor um, when the Post broke the Watergate. Yeah, actually,
1: we—I uh, was just watching
0: um, all the presidents, all the presidents men. men recently. It was on cable. And turn away. I recently watched a documentary about Nora Ephron, whose ex-husband, Carl Bernstein, was one of the reporters who broke the story, and they talked about that a bit.
1: Yeah, and I found... Because
0: she figured out who Deep Throat was (laughs) well before he ever released that information publicly.
1: I couldn't believe that he was married to Nora Ephron. Right? Yeah, that's just crazy. And then she
0: wrote a book that I think became a movie about their horrible, horrible divorce. Oh. He cheated on her. She was pregnant and... Yes, yes. She being nor Ephron not the woman that he had an affair with and they split up and anyway yeah and and now and their just... story went on from there
1: <laughs> <laughs> um so moving to the, our fifth topic t- for today um I'm gonna let Burke <laughs> give the background on this because. <laughs> it's beyond my comprehension so
0: um two kind of mildly famous people uh robin thick famed uh, singer of blurred lines and paula patton who is an actress i'm not quite sure she's really famous for anything she was in warcraft she was in a mission impossible, mission impossible ghost protocol uh she's in something else that i can't remember but anyway um two sort of you know b list celebrities i guess um, are in the midst of a really ugly custody battle um, as a little bit of background on these two um, they grew up in LA Robin Thicke is the son of famed TV dad Alan Thicke rest in peace um, eh, both grew up in LA met when they were um, teenagers and basically were together for like nearly 20 years uh, got married in I think 2005 um, had their first and only child, um, Julian, in 2010, Yep. <laughs> um, they seem to have a um, bit of a um, combustible relationship. I don't know, I might be overstating that, but um, there were... I think it's fair. They they seemed to, like, they, they loved very hard and also would get kind of angry and things would blow up. For example, um, Paula Patton talked about once... She was convinced that Robin Thicke was cheating on her when they were, I think, in college. Um, so instead of like having a conversation about him or breaking or with, up with him, him. <laughs> about it, or yes, breaking up with him, she instead like drove over to his house and hid in the bushes outside his home to like see what was going on. As it turned out, um, he was just hanging out with some friends. He found her in the bushes, brought her into the house, and his reaction was oh, wow, you really do love me. <laughs>
1: yeah. She said, yeah, this is kind of crazy. And he responded, it is kind of crazy, but I love that about you. It was all very cute. I don't know. It sounded like it might have been, like, signs of things to come. <laughs> it's, just...
0: it's Yeah. So they, um, th- he, Robin would talk a lot about their very active love life <laughs> in public, In any event, um, things seemed to start going badly for them um, after the Blurred Lines video came out, which was um, a lot of naked women dancing around, and people were asserting that, you know, Paul Patton must be horrified by this. The couple's response was that she actually came up with some of the ideas for the video. Uh, Later on, Robin Thicke had a performance with Miley Cyrus at the MTV VMAs Mm -hmm. um, that people were sending text messages to Paula Patton, apparently saying, like, we're praying for you.
1: Yeah, and she thought that it was great. She thought it was a great performance, Mm -hmm. didn't
0: really care. Um, But shortly thereafter, things seemed to go um, completely sideways for them. Robin Thicke got sued for um, ripping off Marvin Gaye in writing Blurred Lines. As part of that trial, he confessed that he did not give a single sober interview throughout the year of 2013, that he was so drunk and high during the recording of Blurred Lines that he has no memory of having anything to do with singing or performing (laughs) the song. Um, And uh, there were a lot more allegations of cheating on Mm -hmm. the part of Robin Thicke. Um, this to make a long story a little bit shorter. Paul Patton left him in 2014, and they were ultimately divorced in 2015. Um, he, in his effort, in an effort to get her back, wrote an entire album dedicated to her, named Paula, um, which she apparently did not react real well to. Because I think they separated. He wrote the album, and then she subsequently filed for divorce. So, did not have the impact he had hoped for. But. After they were split up, it seemed to be a pretty amicable divorce. Um, she had posted on Instagram photos of them saying, "Like, I, you know, this was a really great time in my life. I've, you know, have a lot of love for this person. I'm going to remember the positive things." Um, and then, late in 2016, poor Alan Thicke passed away while playing ice hockey, which is the most Canadian <laughs> way for anyone to die. Um, so, not to make light of Alan Thicke's passing. Sorry, yeah, but that was
1: my coping mechanism. More, I didn't think it was funny. Yes.
0: Sorry. No. And I was I was making a joke about being Canadian, so Alan Thicke really sad. Um, apparently, Paula Patton was not invited to his funeral, um, which according to Robin Thick, set off a series of events where he is now not allowed to see his child. Without um, supervision. Yeah. So shortly after um, Alan Thick's funeral, Paula Patton um, filed papers in court seeking a temporary restraining order against Robin Thicke um, based on allegations that he was um, beating their son. Um, apparently, the story is that uh, Julian, the six-year-old, reported to school officials that his dad hit him. Um, school officials, I think in most states, but certainly in California, yep. are what are called mandated reporters, meaning that they, if they have hear allegations of abuse, they have mm-hmm. to report them to police. DCF got involved, which is Department of Children and Family Services. Uh, Paula Patton then, um, as I said, sought a restraining order in order to stop basically block visitation so that Julian would not be spending time alone with Robin Thicke. Mm -hmm. Um, thick's defense to this was basically on very rare occasions. I've spanked my son with like an open hand, not hit him hard. This is a level of discipline that Paula Patton and I had agreed to while we were married. That was appropriate. Um, he and he again asserted that she was doing all this because she was pissed off because she was not allowed to go to Robin Thicke's funeral or excuse me, Alan Thicke's funeral. Um, she would really like to go to Robin Thicke's funeral. Probably <laughs> would make her life a lot easier uh, at this point. Shouldn't joke about m- Sorry. murdering people's spouses. coping mechanism. <laughs> um, so. Uh, the judge initially denied her request for a temporary restraining order in early January. They went back to court about two weeks later to have a kind of more fulsome hearing on mm-hmm. the custody questions. And at that point, the judge ordered um, or granted temporary sole physical custody to Patton and said that any interactions between Thick and Julian had to be supervised by a court appointed monitor. Um, Thicke's, People continue to say that, like, she's just being, uh, you know, a monster because she's pissed off that she couldn't go to the funeral and um, that, you know, she's making up all these allegations just to hurt uh, and not Robin thick,
1: Yeah, not only are there allegations about how he's treated her, Julian, but there are allegations that she has leveled that he has been physically abusive to her, right? Right.
0: And his attorneys have said she didn't come up with this story until after um, all of the child abuse claims started to come about. Um, but there were reports, I think back in 2013, while they were attending the Cannes Film Festival, that police were called to their hotel, um, to break up a dispute between the two of them. I don't know that the, ch- I don't know that anyone was ever charged or that it went anywhere, but my understanding of the incident was that he allegedly, he had hit, hit been violent yeah. towards her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Patton now has um, temporary kind of sole custody. Any interactions with any visitations between Robin Thicke and his son are meant to be monitored by the court. There has since been, that was about a month ago that that um, order was entered. Since then, there's been some controversy about um, whether Julian, the six year old, whose um, apparent, his favorite <laughs> restaurant is apparently Nobu, um, a very famous and expensive sushi restaurant. For those of you who have never been to Nobu, um, uh, that Julian just is terrified of his father. He's having all kinds of like emotional, really uh, dramatic, and I don't mean episodes. that in like a, a mm-hmm. pejorative way. But yeah, he's having really kind of intense reactions to having to go spend time with him, and so um, Patton. I guess there were some reports that she just was saying, I'm not bringing him to see Robin Thicke. There was an incident in a park in Malibu where, according to Robin Thicke's team, Paul Patton just refused, just never showed up. And then randomly her housekeeper called the cops to come and say that Robin Thicke was violating the restraining order. Because as part of, I think as part of the custody arrangement, uh, a restraining order was also entered against Thick, where he had to stay a certain uh, number of feet away from Paula Patton and could only be around Julian in the presence of this court monitor. Um, the story was from Thicke's people that um, he got out of his car when he was supposed to be picking up the kid at the park and the way that the transfer is supposed to happen is Paula Patton gives her son to the court monitor and the court monitor goes and finds Robin Thick. So, long story short is there's a lot of he said, she said going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, with respect to the park incident, I don't know that there's been any kind of uh, neutral review of the facts to figure out who was telling the truth. The sheriff's department, my understanding is the sheriff's department showed up after they were, so somebody called 911, the sheriff's mm-hmm. department got there and Paula Patton and her son were gone.
1: Um, Yes, so uh, the Department of Child and Family Services has not made any statements, as they shouldn't, so I'm not surprised. I'm just saying that there has been no independent verification of the he said, she said. Um, Going back to uh, what you're starting to talk about with Nobu, the most recent allegation, I think, is that Paula Patton has said that um, Robin Thicke is whining and dining the social worker, who's supposed to be the court-ordered monitor, um, by taking... Him or her to Nobu and, and splashing out on a on a pricey dinner for the social worker. Um, Robin Thicke's attorneys have said, "No, this is a situation where Julian wanted to go there for lunch, this and is so his it's his favorite restaurant, even though he's six. <laughs> so that's where <laughs> they went. And because the court ordered, monitor has to be with Julian at all times. They were at the restaurant, but sat at a separate table within visual visual and auto." auditory distance but um had a glass of water while uh robin thick and julian had their visit so it was not a situation where there was whining and dining and romance in the air and And
0: i want to say i don't know if this was the same incident but i read about another nobu incident with robin (laughs) thick and julian that robin thick wanted to take julian to nobu because it's his favorite restaurant and julian flipped out and didn't want to go with him and wanted to stay with his mom and Paul Patton refused to comply with the visitation requirements Um, may have been the same situation. Although I think in that one, they didn't actually ever end up going to Nobu because Julian was upset and didn't want to go. go. Um, So there is some additional, there was a hearing on Friday um, and the custody hearing. So, just for those of you, for anyone who's interested, a lot of this this particular custody is kind of, excuse me, hearing is sort of split up into two parts. One was the preliminary relief to get the temporary restraining order in place mm-hmm. and figure out what was going to happen until they got to the actual substance of the trial, which is the question of whether Robin Thicke Would hits have- his kid and whether that should impact permanently their custody arrangement. Mm-hmm. So that trial is set to start on March 6th. Um, apparently there are 26 witnesses yes. and they expect the trial to take about two weeks
1: uh, 15 or 15 days. days, which might be oh, yeah, three qu- weeks. Three, yeah. Court. If it's uh, 15 court days, it's probably three and a half, half weeks. weeks.
0: Yeah. Um, the TRO temporary restraining order against Robin Thick, has been extended through at least March 22nd or through the end of the trial. Um, and it just seems like, I don't know, the whole story, A, the two parents seem a little nuts. Um, it's hard to know who is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Probably the truth is somewhere in the middle of both of their stories. Um, but if this poor kid is having like horrible emotional reactions yeah. to what's going on with his parents, it's just, it, it seems like they should be able to put their um, disagreements yeah. ahead of behind their child, Mm -hmm. put their child ahead of their disagreements, yeah.
1: Um, Well, yeah, and I hate the idea that (coughs) we have, like, very limited public resources going to monitoring, you know, the children of, like, famous people squabbling, or that the sheriff has to be called out to the park because, you know, the handoff wasn't right, or whatever. I mean, it's just... It's it's ugly. It's just really ugly. There's not a whole lot you can really say about these kinds of situations. Yeah,
0: and I guess I understand if Paula Patton truly believes that her son is in danger, danger. being alone with Robin Thicke. But um, even if he were, you know, trying to ply the DCSF monitor with food at a you know fancy restaurant, I, I don't think her kid is in particular danger while there are other adults monitoring what's going on. So maybe you just need to kind of accept what the court is telling you you have to do and fight your battles in the courtroom instead of in public. In public, yeah. And I think
1: that's, yeah, and that's probably where my, my hackles are raised a little bit that it's, that it is a lot of, um, it's just happening before our eyes as opposed to letting the process play out and
0: and I don't think that's all on Paul Patton No, either. oh yeah, I mean, neither um, do
1: I. I think it's, I'm, as you said, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hopefully this will all come to a um, amicable resolution. Uh, I'm not but seeing I, it. I can't imagine it. <laughs> Things are going so well yeah. for them as divorced people. It just, I don't know. This also seems like a really extreme reaction to not being allowed to go to your ex-father-in-law's funeral.
1: Yeah, but. I mean... <laughs> excuse me I can imagine though like you know as she probably grew up in their house she might feel that you know he's probably as much you know her father as her own father you know if you've known someone since you are like 14 years old or whatever, yeah. but who knows? I mean, because I read another report where she had alleged that he had never been supportive of her and so... And according and to Robin
0: Thicke, they had a really bad yeah, relationship. Yeah, so I'm like, who knows? Although <laughs> her Instagram posting when he died was lovely, okay. but so. people only post nice things on social media, so this could be a lie. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> so who knows? Really. <laughs> um, so our final topic was one that we both um, were interested in uh, discussing today, and it is about the new Bachelorette.
0: <laughs> yes. So Rachel Lindsay, who is a um, attorney in Dallas, she's a, a commercial civil litigator. Mm-hmm. Um, she is going to be the first Black Bachelorette, which is a big deal big for deal. Um, I think some pretty obvious reasons. But what she will not be is the first lawyer Bachelorette,
1: <coughs> or the first uh, s- lawyer. Where- contestant, um, in either the bachelor or the bachelorette series. So I don't watch the bachelorette or the bachelor. Um, I know of it because you know, my job is to be a student of pop culture, but, um, more recently, probably in the last couple of years, Uh, Just from listening to people like Juliet Littman or Bill Barnwell and Mina Kimes talk about The Bachelor. (laughs) Yeah, talk about The Bachelor. That actually I find more entertaining than watching the show itself. And the only season that I kind of actually watched most of was the JoJo Fletcher one, only because of the Aaron Rodgers, uh, Jordan (laughs) Rodgers situation.
0: Um, Still has not been resolved, by the way
1: yeah, those Oh, two exactly. Brothers, oh no, so we'll I think talk. it got worse. like over the yeah. playoffs, it got worse, it sounds like. Um, but the the idea is, and this actually comes from an article that was written on The ringer um, by this past Ben Lindberg. Yes, yeah. who basically questioned um, really a lot of things about lawyers being on a show like The Bachelor, like what kind of impact does it have on the career of the attorney um, professionally? And because, you know, as we all know, and I've only seen, what, maybe a dozen episodes over the life of this very long-running reality television program, but there's a lot of editing that goes on, and
0: not a lot of people come out looking great
1: on these shows. No.
0: um, So I watched both the Ben Higgins season um, and Jojo Fletcher. So Jojo was a contestant on Ben's season of The Bachelor and she was a delight, and so they made her The Bachelorette. Very similarly, um, the current bachelor, Nick Vial, it's spelled like vial <laughs> and from what I am hearing about him as a person and a contestant, probably that's how it should be pronounced, but... Whatever. Um, Rachel, the new Bachelorette, is a contestant on Nick's season of The Bachelor. But she's been bounced, right? No. Oh. So she hasn't been bounced yet. The problem is that the story about her becoming the next Bachelorette broke oh. was getting like reported by spoiler websites okay. and the <coughs> T V uh ABC and it's infinite wisdom decided it would be better to basically spoil a part of this season of the bachelor than to let the news about her becoming the first black bachelorette get out yeah. without them being able to make an official announcement ahead of time. Oh, well, okay. Now there's a lot of speculation about like, is she, maybe she'll get all the way to the final two and then decide, like, I don't want to marry you, mm-hmm. Nick, um, because, because I have this
1: other job <laughs> waiting for me.
0: And apparently, because apparently I've not watched the season, um, because watching the first season I watched The Bachelor made me feel like a bad person, so I couldn't bring myself to watch it, but, um, apparently he's got really the two of them have really great chemistry, and everyone who, at least the recap shows that Genevieve and I listen to, um, they are, um, really having a tough time understanding, like, what the hell goes wrong in these next couple of episodes that she gets kicked off, so, um, Anyway, Rachel. Another interesting piece of this story is that Rachel's father is a federal district court judge in Dallas, um, and as part of the whole Bachelor franchise, they do what are called hometown visits. And interesting, yes. And so Nick went home to visit all of the. He has the four final contestants. Goes home to visit their families, and Rachel's dad refused to appear on the show.
1: Which I totally don't blame him. That just My, seems like
0: the right thing
1: to do. Yeah,
0: and I don't know enough about, like, the rules that apply to the That's federal true. judiciary if he, like, wasn't allowed to be on the show That's, or was yeah. just, like, this is tacky and horrible mm-hmm. and I'm a judge and cannot
1: be yeah. on,
0: cannot participate. Um, apparently Nick did meet with um, Judge Lindsay in like in off person camera. off camera, so they got to talk. But none of it matters anymore because they're not going to end up together. <laughs> um But the article on the ringer was interesting because it does raise basically they've talked to um, a number of former both bachelor and bachelorette contestants who are attorneys and sort of wanted to know like what was the impact on your career um, of being on the show.
1: Yeah, so, you know, and the responses ranged from, well, I knew that I wasn't going to be a lawyer for the long term, and um, I think one person left the law and became like a real estate developer, real estate agent, Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily have an impact on their professional career after the show, except for... The one, one woman whose
0: name I can't remember. Right. So there was one woman, and what kind of stood out about her is she seemed to be the only person who came from, who took time off of a like, large white shoe law firm. Yes. Um, b- b- very well known uh, to go on the show. She was a young, blonde um, attorney, went on the show. The firm was, I guess, quite supportive of her when she left, and then she came back, and um, things did not go so great for her. But things
1: did not go so Uh, great for her because they didn't go so great for her in her portrayal on the show? Mm -hmm.
0: I think part of it, yeah, my understanding was... Or did they not go great for her because she was gone for months at a time? I'm like, so... (laughs) What do you do with your work? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure which... It's kind of a chicken or egg situation, right? The fact that she, like, left for a couple of months... Or the fact that she left the show, um, like, in hysterical tears, looking like a bit of a lunatic, which I say not to, like, denigrate crying women, but I think the edit was just Yeah, well, rough, exactly, yeah. And she didn't look like she was managing the situation very well um, and left and got back to work. And, yeah, people yeah. were not real excited to continue working with her because she looked like an unprofessional Well, and I think that's on TV.
1: (laughs) And that's the tough part, right? Because, I mean, part of our jobs, even if we feel like being a mess and Mm. being a lunatic, we have to manage situations. And.
0: And I will say, having been a, so I went straight through from college to law school, I started working at a giant law firm at the age of 24, very similar to this person, Um, and it was a struggle every day to be taken seriously as a young woman working Mm -hmm. with a bunch of like mostly older people, I mean, mostly associates are around my age, but like the partners I was working for, this Mm -hmm. very senior counsels, they were kind of, yeah, middle-aged to older white men, Mm -hmm. Um, and... To erode your credibility by going on a dating show where, I mean, you're throwing yourself at some guy who you've known for, you know, a couple of weeks. And the way the show is set up, I mean, you're escalating your whole relationship very quickly. Oh, yeah. You're expected to have, like, very deep feelings for people (laughs) real fast. And I just... I hate to use the word crazy pejoratively, but, like, you watch these folks, and it's both, it goes both ways. It's it's on the 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 Bachelorette, too. Just, like, this is crazy. You've Mm -hmm. known this person for a month. They're dating 25 other people. And then the ba- and the like the like star, the bachelor, the bachelorette, you know, will be like, well, this person hasn't shown that they love me. It's like, <laughs> you've known them for three weeks. Well, Normal <laughs> people wouldn't think that, oh, yeah, I'm in love with this person. But so.
1: it's not even you've known this person for three weeks, but you've known this person for, like, bits and parts of three weeks, yes. right? Because you don't spend all of your time. Like, maybe I could understand if you were 24-7 with the person no. for a month, you could possibly these things, but you are limited in how much interaction
0: you actually have with this individual. And when you're, they do, so at the end of every episode, before the road, the infamous row (laughs) ceremony, they have, I think they call them cocktail parties. Um, And so my understanding from listening to interviews with producers on the show are that like you're basically plying the contestants with, with alcohol, alcohol with not a lot of food for like twelve hours. Yeah. So I don't know, if I were tired and drunk and emotional, like I might look like Yeah. I'd lost my mind on national television mm-hmm. and then I don't know that I would hire that person as a yes. lawyer. Yeah. Like it's like, oh you're the you're the girl who cried on mm-hmm. TV and like had makeup running all over her face and then you know took her shoes off and staggered out to a limousine. Like this is just mm-hmm. it's not a good look. Um, but you're I think to circle back to your point, Jen, it seemed like most of the folks who were attorneys and made the decision to go on the show, they kind of on the one hand they said they didn't feel like it had a big impact on their professional careers mm-hmm. but then again none of them seemed to still be doing lawyers. What they were
1: in the same capacity as they were before they right. went on the show. Right. Like,
0: there was one guy who was still at the same firm he was working at, but it's his family's law firm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, there was another guy who was on The Bachelor... Was this the US, Assistant U.S. Attorney who was on The Bachelor... Mm-hmm. Got he made it to like the final five, and then his colleagues wanted him to go on Bachelor in Paradise, which is like the more debaucherous cousin <laughs> of the Bachelor, just so they would have more stories to tell. I don't know if that was him or another person they were talking to, but um, you know he seemed to fare fine. I do wonder if there's more of a stigma for women who would participate.
1: I I think there probably is, but I mean, as you said, you know she was 24 when she went yeah. on the show. Um, and the firm that was it Aiken Gum? Yeah. Yeah. I mean this is if you're talking about white shoe and I, I know I get the white shoe blue collar thing <laughs>
0: all the time.
1: But I mean I understand I mean, white how, collar
0: is also a thing. Color, yeah. So yeah. So I
1: understand how white shoe this firm is and um, you know, I think it might for her it might have been just the perfect storm of bad circumstances for her like now being in-house counsel somewhere where i'm sure you know it <laughs> might have ended up anyways but and she
0: said that was always kind of her plan mm-hmm. which um having had friends who took that path um mm-hmm. is not uncommon um mm-hmm. and it sounds like she's doing totally fine her career now so it didn't have any lasting effects just sounded like a traumatic um 18 months that she was involved in the show and then eventually got yeah. kind of But
1: even just, I mean, the idea that you could be potentially off of work for months, yeah um, you know, it's, I, I don't know that many situations where unless you're actually going to make a transition anyways, that you can just walk away from your cases for that long or walk away from your clients for that long.
0: I mean, it's, no. just, it's And there was one of the people that was interviewed for this article talked about he was a very young lawyer. I think he actually went on the show oh, in the while yeah. he was waiting to find out his, his bar the results, results of his yeah. bar exam. Yeah, and now has said, like, as a kind of established attorney, I can't imagine how yeah. you walk away from your work for... Mm-hmm. Um, You know 10 or 12 weeks I think if you make it to the end of the show it's ends up being like a 12-week commitment or something Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's a long time to not be able to because I think I don't think they let you have access to like emails or your phone Mm -hmm. or anything so yeah, it's not like you could be doing work while your other people are out on like group dates or whatever. So
1: yeah, that's probably the only situation where you can truly get away from the office. It's like on a situation like the know, Bachelor. Yeah, maybe I'm
0: gonna try and go on the Bachelor now.
1: Yeah, because you Just can't. Your, <laughs> because
0: you can't have your phone with you. No one can bother you. Yeah, that was an interesting. Uh, I heard I think Julia Littman did an interview uh, because there's been a lot of important news over the past few months while they were taping the uh, current series of the. Oh season of The Bachelor and um, she was interviewing Nick The Bachelor Mm and asking him like how did you find out about everything that was going on he didn't have a really good I think the producers would share with them, but didn't actually let them watch the news.
1: That's just crazy. Maybe that's how the newspaper industry could resuscitate itself, by, like, providing newspapers to contestants on these shows who are, you know, effectively, like, electronically out (laughs) off the grid. Uh, Yeah.
0: I mean, I think they don't want, I don't know, maybe they don't want them to watch the news to keep them in a bubble. But, like, the news is, I can understand why they wouldn't want them watching, like, seeing, like, blogs or gossip Yeah, sizes. exactly, yes, but, but the, the news... news yeah, that
1: just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: I would go... I would lose my mind if I was without television for 12 well, weeks, so yeah, I, I, I can't imagine... I mean, there are a number of reasons <laughs> I would not go on The Bachelor, but, uh, yeah, just not having any contact with the outside world yeah. for 12 weeks. But
1: I think that also makes... That's what makes these contestants come across as, like, lunatics, again, yeah. not pejoratively, but um, you are in this really like, lab setting where you're just interacting with these people. You don't really have that much information from the outside world. And, I mean, it's just Lord of the Flies, both
0: sides, bachelorette and bachelor. It's just Lord of the Flies in there. Um, I had a woman I worked with when I was working in New York. Her sister was on a season of America's Next Top Model. Mm. And apparently, to get, like, better stories... They would drive them out to a site where they were going to do, um, you know, a shoot or that week's shoot. And then they would just like force them all to stay in the van for hours and not give them food or water And just, I don't know, if I'm like underslept and underfed, I can't be held responsible for my (laughs) actions. And it sounds like that's what part of the whole reality TV Mm -hmm. kind of bag is to...
1: Exactly, to create these artificial storylines because you basically are torturing your contestants.
0: um, Which sounds really terrible. It Mm -hmm. sounds like that may have been sort of what happened to the woman who worked at Aiken Gump. The producer did something that made her (laughs) cry a lot on TV. Mm-hmm. And that was how she was edited.
1: Is that why that crazy guy from JoJo's season
0: Chad, like, was so into ham? Because he was not being fed otherwise? I don't know. The men seem to get a lot more, which is super sexist. It seems like, from what I have witnessed, the men get fed a lot more. They have yeah. like just deli plates out during the <laughs> cocktail hours. Um, Chad... I am not a medical doctor, um, but having watched him and uh, knowing some of his backstory, his mom died kind of shortly before he went on the show, and it strikes me as he didn't really manage that. He didn't deal with the grief, um, and instead he got her dog, who he clearly loves, and um, then just internalized a lot of it, and it made him pretty angry. Um, Not to make excuses for Chad's terrible behavior, but that seemed to be kind of the path that also might have been the editors and producers trying to lead us down that path making make him a little path, sympathetic. Yeah. Um, he may just be an asshole. Mm, uh, but yes, he was constantly okay. eating ham and. He, All that sodium. I mean, really. He brought a lot of protein with him. Like, he had entire suitcases of protein powder, which that can't be good for you. Um, I'm gonna I'm shaking my head no that can't be. Yeah it seems like the men when it's the bachelorette seasons the men just work out all day long and sit by the pool and um I don't know what the they don't really show what the women do when they're not out with Nick so I'm not I'm not quite sure how those ladies spend their time Mm -hmm. but
1: all right well I don't know maybe it's the like the working out and the testosterone thing that drives their storylines and the sodium from the ham. Yeah.
0: But in any event, um, I think Rachel may be the second lawyer, bachelorette. um, Andy Dorfman, who oh. was actually Nick first appeared in the bachelor universe on Andy season, um, losing in the final two, <coughs> which is, um, sort of what he does. She, I think worked for the, uh, district attorney's office in, um, somewhere near New York City. I'm not sure it was in Manhattan or one of the outer boroughs, but uh, she never went back to the law as far as I am aware. Um, She's now become kind of a social media personality. Oh,
1: yeah, I think I've heard her
0: name. Mm -hmm. um, And, yeah, so I think Rachel is the second lawyer bachelorette First African American Bachelorette which is exciting and I guess we'll see whether or not she
1: goes back to a legal job after her season right, right? I think
0: her entire family like she's from a whole like yeah like line a of, of lawyers, lawyers. Mm-hmm. um I mean I think she's acquitted herself pretty well and hasn't embarrassed herself or her firm I read that she is doing work for her firm now before they start oh, before they filming start. Okay. the Bachelorette so clearly they wanted her back um I also be interested to see if her dad shows up on her season.
1: I'm gonna I'm, not. I'm going to wager no at this point. He
0: seems like a very serious person. Yeah, so. well,
1: she's a federal district court judge. That be is serious. no joke. Yeah,
0: appointed by Bill Clinton, so he's been doing it for a while. Oh
1: yeah, um, no joke. I mean, the process to even be considered. No one's messing around, I
0: mean, they used to not mess around. Let's be honest. okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's been appointed yet, so that's, we don't know.
0: that's but. fair. and the the whatever your um qualms about his uh judicial temper, it might be Neil Gorsuch doesn't seem to be like a horrible person who's
1: he is a qualified, qualified person. person, yes, yes. yeah. Um, okay, well, that's all for us. I, I know we were all over the board, but a lot of different things have been happening.
0: Um, I'm really highly caffeinated and haven't had a lot to eat, <laughs> so I've been talking real fast. Sorry, listeners. I'm on a lot
1: of cold medication, so there's that. Um, but we will be back, I'm sure, very soon because Aaron Hernandez's trial starts March first. We we gotta we gotta keep
0: tabs on our. Yeah, on our godfather. I know I was gonna say on our on our friend, but I don't really <laughs> want to be Aaron Hernandez's friend. Yeah, I don't. You might get shot in the face, and <laughs> that's don't... sad.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Coping mechanism. That's all I'm just gonna keep saying when we're I'm inappropriate
0: starting. laughers. You guys are, need to be on board with that. Yeah,
1: you probably know that already, <laughs> okay. since you know this is podcast number 19. Um, okay, so have a good week, um, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.